following is a paid program. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the management or ownership of Score North, ASTP AM 1500. Oh, hi. This is the place to talk about everything related to the home, buying or selling real estate, financing, and improvements that can help increase your home's value. I'm gonna make this place your home. This is Minnesota Home Talk on Score North. Here's your host, Jason Walgrave. Good morning, folks, and welcome back. This is Minnesota Home Talk, and we're live on Score North on 1500. We are the original real estate show on here at AM 1500 Radio. We're live every Saturday morning, of course, on demand at minnesotahometalk.com. I'm your host, Jason Walgrave with Walgrave Real Estate Group and the Minnesota Real Estate Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Of course, we have Mortgage Michael Overson with Luminate Home Loans in studio and a very special guest this morning. I'm very excited to have Dr. Scott Jensen uh, on the air with us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Great to have you. Yeah, I think we've got you. There we go. Now we got you powered up. <laughs> it's good to, good to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So Mike and I have been, and Evan, we've been doing this show for uh, 85 years, Dr. Jensen. So that was about 30 years before you were even born. So it is. Uh, <laughs> I'm loving the way you're doing math. <laughs> Thank yeah, you for coming on this morning. Though. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's that new modern math. You uh, know, it's yeah. confusing the new modern math. Right. I know. Yeah. And I was never good with numbers. That's why I got into mortgage business. <laughs> <laughs> that does make so, sense, <laughs> right? So yeah. So you can trust us. You know, we're really good at this stuff. <laughs> we're good at numbers. Yeah. We got a big show planned this morning, folks. We're going to open up the phone lines right away. Any questions that you have? Um, for Dr. Jensen, anything to do with um, real estate, business, the economy, um, politics this morning, uh, anything at all, give us a call at 651-647-2910. That is the studio line. We'll keep those lines open throughout the show. 651-647-2910. That's the, the call number to the studio. We also have a text line. You can text questions in as well. The text line is 612 612- Two zero two eight three two one. That is the text line. Any questions that you might have for Dr. Jensen, Mr. Overson, or myself, give us a text question. The text line is six one two two zero two eight three two one. Uh, call or text. We'll keep uh, those lines open throughout the show. We're going to give away four tickets to the Timberwolves on on Monday for the best question this morning. So give us a call. One big winner. Four Timberwolves tickets. Uh, all four seats are together. Great seats. The Timberwolves are uh, looking pretty good this year and having a lot of fun. So, uh, Dr. Jensen, I-, I guess I'd like to start off a little bit and just you know tell us a little bit about where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Do you have a wife, kids, any of that stuff? Where'd you I- go to school? I don't know if you ever saw Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Christmas special. Yes. yes. That's pretty much my life. <laughs> I grew up in Sleepy Eye, Minnesota, middle child of five. My dad was my hero. My mom was my best friend. Ended up graduating from Sleepy Eye Public High School. Sleepy Eye was a lot like the West Side Story. If you were Protestant, you better live on the south side of the tracks. And if you were Catholic, you better live on the north side <laughs> of the tracks. So it was just a, a really... Uh, Fun place to grow up, and I think typically in our employment situations is where we really became integrated. I worked at Del Monte, and that's how I got through college. I worked at the Orchid Inn and cleaned the bathrooms and had a chance to work with all of my Catholic friends on the north side of the tracks because I lived on the south side of the tracks. (laughs) Then I went to the University of Minnesota, had a good time there, 
graduated uh, with a degree in physiology. I spent a year in dental school, and I enjoyed a lot about that, except I found that I really didn't have much of a love affair with teeth, so that was a problem. <laughs> so I did the logical thing. If you've been heavily embedded in the sciences and you don't like dental school, you go to the seminary. You do. So I went to the seminary, and I made two big decisions that year. I, uh, I was dating this really hot chick, and I decided <laughs> to ask her to marry me. And we've been together 43 years and have three wonderful children. And Christy is a... She's an anesthesiologist, uh, Matt's an estate attorney, and Jackie's a family doc. And my wife's got a, she's had a wonderful career in veterinary medicine, treating exotics and cats and dogs. And then I've been a family doc for 35 years. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. So, so Mike and I are from Laverne, Minnesota. So, so we grew up in Laverne, Minnesota. Um, my folks farm. They still have a farm. Uh, Mike has uh, three older sisters. I have three younger brothers. And so Mike was actually the fifth brother because he spent more time at our house growing up um, than his own home. I think it's something to do with his sisters dressing him up or something. Yeah. I, we got picked on a lot until I got bigger than my sisters. My name must have, I thought my name was Michelle actually for the first six years of my life because that's what they called me. But well, you know, Mike, you and I have something in common then because I've been picked on some by some people from Laverne also. I think my RA when I was at Territorial Hall at the university in 1973 was from Laverne. I think his name was Don Klosterbauer. And he was a Laverne guy. Oh, yeah. He yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we know Don. Me yeah. too. We know yeah, that nice. name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Laverne is, I tell Laverne is the biggest small town out there because as soon as we mention Laverne kind of anywhere, someone knows someone from Laverne or met someone from Laverne. It's only 4,500 people, but just seems like people know people from Laverne. Yep. It's crazy. Yep. The great, the great metro of yep. Laverne. <laughs> <laughs> nice town. It is a nice town. So, and then did you, where did you live? Did you live in New Ulm for a while? I grew up in Sleepy Eye, Sleepy and Eye. New Ulm was 13 miles away, okay. so if you wanted to impress your date, you took her to a movie in New Ulm. <laughs> if you wanted to get your leg straightened out after you broke it playing football or get your teeth straightened out, then you had to go all the way to Mankato. <laughs> and so that's why I went to the University of Minnesota, because I'd seen quite a bit of New Ulm and Mankato. <laughs> and I actually, my first practice was in Wabasha, where I had a chance to, I don't know if you remember the uh, movie Grumpy Old Man, mm-hmm. but there's a bar called the Slippery's. Mm-hmm. And uh, the owners of Slippery's uh, were patients of mine, so I had a chance to meet them as well as a bunch cool. of grumpy old men. Yeah, <laughs> and I was there for a couple of years, and then we relocated to Carver County. And I've been in Watertown for thirty-five years. About twenty years ago, I I left a larger clinic and decided I wanted to build my own clinic. And we we've been incredibly successful. I'm absolutely humbled by it. And then about four years ago, we built a second clinic in Chaska. So now we have offices: Catalyst Medical Clinic in Watertown and in. Chaska, and we probably have about, uh, well, I guess we have six providers and probably 25 employees. Wow. That's nice. That's Good for you. Nice. So, you. so you keep yourself very busy. I do. I, I like to write books. I'm writing my second book right now, and I'm a pilot. I decided for a while I was trying to do one new thing every year, and so one year it was time to learn how to fly. And so I did that, and so I've been flying now for 30 years. Oh, wow. I enjoy that as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. What do you write it on? I'm writing about uh, a book called... Um, what the heck's going on? We're being played. And that's, that's the book right now. The first book uh, five years ago was Relationship Matters. And it talked about the fracturing between uh, patients and physicians. And the fact that I don't think physicians are really tuned into the notion of making sure that patients are their own best champion. We've become so enamored with ourselves that I think we've forgotten that there are many partners out there for a patient to utilize in that pursuit of optimal health. Too often, I think Western medicine has two things to offer. We're either going to cut on you or we're going to put you on a pill. Mm-hmm. 
But there are so many other things that can go into that equation, whether it be chiropractic, acupuncture, information, nutrition, physical therapy. There are so many other things that we should and could be doing. And I think we've lost our way. And I think COVID-19 has really put a, a bright, shining light on that, showing how, how fractured that relationship is. I think a lot of patients feel absolutely abandoned mm-hmm. by their doctors because mm-hmm. they're not able to have the conversations that they want to have. Yeah, I, I would agree. So if someone, Dr. Jensen, if someone doesn't like uh, the responses that they're getting from their doctor, or they're, they're in the, the hospital or the medical um, clinic, and it just doesn't feel right, what, what do they do? Do they just leave and go somewhere else? Or what do you recommend? Well, I recommend shopping, actually. Mm-hmm. But it's gotten harder because right now it seems like there's a little bit of a a shortage of, of family docs. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of patients are having trouble finding another doc. So they're hesitant to leave. I've actually had patients or prospective patients contact me and ask me if I would be willing to be their physician because they've been dismissed by a clinic because they weren't, quote, compliant with mm-hmm. the doctor's wishes, whether it was taking a medication or perhaps a patient was too demanding or insistent on having certain conversations that were if you will, offensive to the physician. That seems to me just so upside down because in an ideal situation, the patient should be able to go to the physician, get information, information that the patient might not be able to acquire, perhaps because the physician went to med school or perhaps because the physician just got done examining the patient and found something wrong with the liver or something wrong with the heart. But whatever, the patient should be getting information from the physician The physician should be laying out the possible plans, what could be done, what are the possible choices, and together they should make that decision. Sometimes a decision might be tough for a patient because it might involve a complex interplay of chemotherapy drugs for cancer. But in most situations, patients are absolutely equipped to make a decision whether or not to say yes to this hernia surgery or not. We used to, if we saw a hernia, we cut on it. Today we're much more, I think, common sense based and we're saying you know that hernia if we fix it it's going to break down anyway you're going to get a reoccurrence so you may as well just live with it because it's really not bothering anything those kinds of decisions i think we make better today than we used to but bottom line is we've got to encourage the patients to be their own best champion and i I think you've seen in the last decade you know more and more information and just education on uh Mm. diet and exercise and how that you know the benefits of that and and i think that um you know, there's this conflict between Western and Eastern medicine, but I think that more doctors today are, are I guess, open to looking at both. Would you say there, there's, there's a, I guess, an openness to that, or, or is it just pretty much one or the other? Well, I think the medical profession is sort of split on it. It's sort of one or the other. I think it's the uncommon physician that says, let's grab a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I think patients are the ones who are driving that, and I think Internet has helped tremendously. Many patients almost apologize that before they came in to see me, they they did some research on Internet. And I always tell them, heavens to Betsy, go ahead and do the research. All it does is advance us quicker forward so we can go deeper into our conversation. If you look at what Eastern medicine contributes, I was reading an article last evening about even the origin of Oseltamivir, which is Tamiflu. And that's a drug we've used for the influenza uh, virus for years. And it's a, 
a modestly impactful drug. It probably more than anything shortens the span of days you have symptoms, but it doesn't cure you or anything like that. But its origins were Chinese medicine. And I think that the more we open ourselves to those kinds of discoveries, I think sometimes new discoveries come from old discoveries. And the more we do that, I think we're going to serve our patients better. And patients are driving that show, and I think they should keep driving it. One of the problems we have in healthcare is everybody wants to be an expert. Sort of like everybody has a John Wayne syndrome. If they can't be the big guy driving in or riding in on a white horse with a big hat on, they don't feel good about themselves. So we make things more complicated. You mentioned nutrition, Jason. I try to keep it simple. I tell people the typical American diet has 60% of their calories coming from carbohydrates and 20% from protein and 20% from fat. We got to flip that. For most Americans, they're getting too much carbs. And if they can lower their carbohydrates closer from 60% down to that 20, 30% and increase your proteins, a lot of times you'll feel healthier, you'll lose weight, you'll be able to maintain your ideal weight much easier. But our carbohydrates are the things that taste so darn good. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the way in here today, what did I do? I stopped at the gas station, got a cup of coffee, and I couldn't help myself. The donut beckoned to me, called out <laughs> to me. I, I'm intended for you. So I ate it. That wasn't, it wasn't a protein donut? Sugar-free protein donut? No, but I tried to envision it as a piece of venison. Yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> Folks, we got the phone lines open at 651-647-2910. Give us a call this morning. We have Dr. Scott Jensen in. Mike Overson and myself, we're talking about we're talking about real estate. We're talking about the, your health. We're talking about politics. We have, um, I believe, the future governor of the great state, of Minnesota, Dr. Scott Jensen in here with us this morning. Any questions, all questions related, give us a call. 651 Studio Lines are open at 651-647-2910 is the call number to the studio. Folks, studio lines are open. Give us a call at 651-647-2910. We also have a text line. You can text your questions to 612-202-8321. 612 the text line, folks, is 612-202-8321. Dr. Jensen, I had the opportunity to meet you in July. Um, you were in our neighborhood uh, doing a little meet and greet. And and so I've been watching, I've been following you the last four months. And um, my goodness, you've been busy. You have put on, How many miles have you put on in the last four months? It's a lot. Someone asked me that last night, and we are putting a lot of miles on. We've gone north, south, east, west, and on Monday morning, we're going to start going to the west, and we're going to go out there and stay overnight, and we're going to hit like seven cities. My wife and I did a 12-city tour of northern Minnesota. Then we went down into the southwest corner and did seven cities in two days. So we've been pretty much, I can't say everywhere because I don't want to offend anyone, but we've really tried to get to every part of Minnesota. And a friend of mine asked me, he said, Scott, if the campaign ended tomorrow for whatever reason and you were done, you were out of the picture, how would you feel about what you've done so far? And I told him, I said, I'd feel blessed because the last nine months have absolutely been inspiring and uplifting because there's a lot of really good folks in Minnesota. Sometimes I think the media presents a side a side of Minnesota that really isn't really isn't accurate. I, I think there are so many solid, hardworking Minnesotans that aren't 
dreaming of being billionaires. What they're dreaming of is raising good kids or helping raise good grandkids. They want their kids to be in a situation where the kids can dream dreams and then go pursue those dreams. It's been it's been heartwarming. So regardless of what happens over the next 12 months, I've been blessed to do this. And yet, on the other hand, I wouldn't want to do this every year. <laughs> is, it, is it what you've expected you know if you had expectations or or has it been different than like oh man i thought it would be like this but it's different it's been different johan goethe in the 1770 to 1790 range once made a statement something like this when you finally make the commitment make the big plunge things will happen that you could never have dreamt and i found that when i built my clinics uh in 2000 with catalyst i found like we achieved a level of success i could never have dreamt the same thing happened with this campaign. We launched on March 16th. I expected to go to a lot of places and have coffee with three or four tables of 15 people. But there was this absolute energy out there, and it translated to small meetings turning into rallies. An example was my wife and I had toured 12 cities up north. It was the last city. I told my wife, I know you're tired. I'm tired too. It's Thursday night. We've been on the road six days. We're going to drive home tonight to Chaska. We've got one meeting left. We'll meet 30 people, spend a half hour, and we'll get on the road. We drive into this place, and there's no parking, and we don't know what's going on. I told her there's probably a wedding reception or something. We find out that there's three or 400 people packed into a pole barn waiting for us. And we, set, we stood with them and talked for two hours. <laughs> These people were absolutely energized. And we found that everywhere. We've probably done 12 to 20 rallies and in those rallies, probably had a chance to talk to 25,000 people directly. Wow. So it's been energizing to the point where I really think that Minnesota is looking for, they're looking for something different. I think at some level there's a certain rejection of what's gone on over the last 22 months. But at another level, it's really not what Minnesotans are against. It's what they're for. And they're for an approach that isn't one size fits all. Therefore, an approach that respects every Minnesotan, every area of Minnesota. I mean, the bottom line is farmers want to farm, teachers want to teach, miners want to mine, business people want to run their businesses. They want to do that without any unnecessary intrusion into their lives or their businesses by government or any other agency. And they just don't feel that's been happening. So I think Minnesotans are charged up to say, we can we can be so much more than we are right now, but the only way that happens is if we get unleashed and we feel like we've been constrained. Mm-hmm. All right, that's fantastic, folks. We got the phone lines open at six five one six four seven two nine one zero is the call in number six five one six four seven two nine one zero. That's the call in number to the studio. We also have a text line. You can text your questions to six one two two zero two eight three two one is the text line six one two. Two zero two eight three two one, Doctor Jensen, you have had a um, wildly successful career. Um, sounds like you have a, a, a wonderful family life. Uh, why did you decide to run? Great question, and I'm so glad you didn't ask me. Are you sure you want to run for governor? <laughs> what are you doing? It's too late for that. <laughs> because people have asked me that, and I tell them. I never said I wanted to run for governor. I said I feel compelled to run for governor. I think that 
two things happened in my life. One is my wife has undergone four major surgeries over about an 18-month span of time and came through those four surgeries incredibly well, far better than anyone could have expected, to the point where one morning we were having coffee and she said, Scott, I feel better than I have in a decade. At the same time that was occurring, COVID was pushing me to the front of the line. I raised my hand and objected to the way physicians were being told to complete death certificates because we were encouraged basically to get a little sloppier and less attentive to a precise sequence of causation. That was problematic on multiple levels. I thought that someone would respond to my concern and fix it, but instead my license was investigated two months later, and now it's been about every three months I get another letter from the Board of Medical Practice, and right now I'm on my fifth time where I'm waiting to hear from the Board of Medical Practice as to whether or not my license will be modified or constrained or taken away from me. So with that happening, this was not the path I would have chosen. But the words of Esther 4.14, have you considered that you're in the position you're in for such a time as this, really struck at my wife and my heart. And so we said, okay, we need to do this. I'm not a career politician, and I'm not looking for a new career path. But I spent one term in the Senate, and I learned enough to know that the system is broken. We're not focused on solving problems. Generally, as soon as you get elected, you start looking for that next election. You start phrasing the things you say so that you won't ever have to see a postcard come at you where your opponent is criticizing you. They always talk in the Senate and say, well, you better be careful saying that or you get a postcard. I never <laughs> knew what that meant. But what that means is you run scared so that nobody will ever send you a postcard or send out 10,000 postcards to your district. That's absolutely the wrong way to do things. When you get elected, you should feel like you just got the job that you applied for. And now you have to prove yourself. Go out and get stuff done. If I get elected in the first 100 days, I know exactly what I want to do. I want to rewrite emergency powers so that it never happens again where we have an emperor running the state. I want to pass a constitutional carry bill. I want to pass a stand your ground bill. I want to pass voter ID. And I want to pass student choice. We do those five things. Now we're cooking with real gas. Then we'll focus on the budget process, which is broken anyway. And we have to be ready to make the hard decisions. Budgeting in Minnesota has gone from a $30 billion biennial budget in 2010 to a $52 billion budget in this last one. That's a 75% increase in little more than a decade. During that time, the average wage earners increase was about 25%, but the government went up 75%. That's just not sustainable. The way we budget is we always start where you left off and add on. That's got to stop. You don't do that in your household. In your household, you look at what kind of income do we have? What are our needs? What are our wants? And you make your decisions based on that. We need to cut government. And we need to have a zero-sum budgeting process where if you think that you really need this much more money, then someone else is going to have to give it up. Mm -hmm. So go talk to them. Because right now, it just keeps escalating every year. Five, six percent. Not sustainable. So what would you cut? <clears throat> well, Health and Human Services and K-12 through Education both have tremendous amount of money. 42% of the budget goes to uh, K-12 through Education and approximately 32% to Health and Human Services. Now that in, in and of itself, you might say, well, that sounds a little heartless. So I think we always have to look at context, comparisons. If you look at Minnesota, right now in fourth and eighth grade reading and arithmetic, 
ours, many of our students score less well than students in Mississippi. I'm not digging Mississippi. I'm just saying that's a fact. What does Mississippi spend per student? $9,000. What do we spend? 13500 about 150% of theirs. Hmm. So there's plenty of money. We just need to unleash our teachers so that they can do the job that they want to do. Same thing with, if you look at the typical welfare recipient, in Minnesota, it's $30,500 per person. Wisconsin, Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, none of those states get to 20000 So there's enough money there. So when we look at health and human services and we look at K-12, through there's opportunities to be more fiscally responsible than we have been. Fantastic, folks. we got the phone lines open at 651-647-2910 is the call number. Any questions, give us a call. We have Dr. Scott Jensen in this morning. Uh, we're taking all questions at 651-647-2910. We also have a text line. You can text your questions at 612-202-8321 is the text line, 612-202-8321. Uh, Dr. Jensen, tell me more about student choice. What what does that mean? What is that? The last time we had really big, bold ideas in education was a Democratic governor in the 1980s named Rudy Perpich. He put in two big things. One was called PSEO, post-secondary enrollment option, where you could spend your junior and senior year acquiring college credits. That's a big deal. It's helped a lot of kids. The other one was open enrollment, where you can move from one district outside of your district to another district. I did a video a couple weeks ago about a young man who was really in a dead-end school district for him. It was a good school district, but the emphasis, uh, the flavor, the culture just didn't work for him. Mm -hmm. So he and his parents met, decided to change school districts, and he got into a school district that had a bigger focus on hands-on learning rather than just from a, a cathode ray tube or just reading. And I think that's just a really good example of how Every person learns differently, and school choice would allow parents to identify, how is my child going to do best? I don't think we have that. So if we allow school choice by, say we take 75% of the dollars that the state puts towards their funding K-12 through education, and we allow that money to follow the child, then we're going to blow the whole thing open and get so much more going. We might have more homeschooling going on where in the morning the basic curriculum is taught, but perhaps these parents would want to pool their dollars together, those dollars that they would get from the state, not in their checking account, but be able to direct those dollars, put it into a science academy. So that from 1 to 3 p.m. on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, their kids go to a robust scientific academy where they do experiments Mm -hmm. and their intellectual curiosity is stimulated. We can see more of those kind of things. We can see more private schools, more religious-based or non-religious-based private schools. We could see more immersion schools. We could see parents getting involved. We could see our education system going back to what we originally thought it should be, foundational and not indoctrinational. Right now, the idea of trying to, if you will, mold and shape your kid into someone who buys into a notion like critical race theory, that's not what our education system is about. We're supposed to be able to teach the foundations so that kids can dream and then go achieve those dreams. We've failed our kids. So I think school choice is the next big idea that can literally unleash the student 
but also unleash the parents. And with that parental unleashing, what you'll see is a drive to make our whole society better. We're seeing it right now with the mama bears and papa bears. They've gotten powerfully motivated because of their kids. But I'm convinced that that motivation is going to translate into more than just K-12 education. They're getting involved in what does our society look like? What is America? What makes America great? I think we're going to see more and more that energy shape our culture. And frankly, we need that energy. Outstanding. Outstanding. We got the phone lines open, folks, at 651-647-2910. Studio lines are open. Give us a call this morning. We have Dr. Scott Jensen in. 651-647-2910 is the call number to the studio. We also have a text line uh, at 612-202-8321. You can text your questions to 612-202-8321. And we have a caller, Evan. Yeah. Oh, Derek's the caller. Derek's on the line. Thanks for calling in, Derek. How can we help you? Dr. Jensen, pleasure to talk to you again. Uh, as you know, I've certainly been following you on uh, so many of the rallies that you've had. I'm just wondering. I I have no question. I don't think there's any doubt that you're going to give uh, Governor Walls all he can handle. But my biggest concern is I see your grassroots companion, and I, I see the people that are, are out there in droves to come support you, but... You know how you, you talked about a broken system. Politics many times is broken. And my biggest concern is the people who wear suits, and this can go on both sides of the, uh, you know, either party. Sometimes the big money goes behind certain candidates. Is that your biggest challenge here in the upcoming caucus season? Thanks for that question. It's really not going to be my biggest challenge because we've already made the decision. We're not going to let big farmer, big tech drive our campaign. We've taken not a dollar from them. I think that the only way we really do this right is through a groundswell. And it's people like you, Derek, that are fueling that groundswell. We have got to say to the political elite, step aside. You're not cutting it. President Trump spoke of the swamp. I often say it's time to flush the toilet. And it is. The bottom line is we've got people that see themselves as the upper political class and This has got to stop because we're not being laser-focused on solving problems. Derek, you know as well as I do that if the government was trying to exist in the private sector with the performance level it puts forth, it would have gone bankrupt a long time ago. There's an arrogance about government. When government or its employees put a policy in place, two things happen. One is there's an arrogance that they think they're right. And two, there's a certain persistence whereby a small business or private business, if something's not working, they're going to change it. In government, if something's not working, all you do is try to change the narrative to make people think it is working. That's so wrong. And that's why for us, it could be a challenge for others, but because we've already made the decision that we're not going to let big pharma and big tech and big government drive our campaign. We're just going all out to just keep fueling this groundswell movement, and that's all we can do. And so that's our challenge, and we think we can be successful. But if we aren't, at the end of the day, we'll know we gave it everything we could. That includes getting up early on a Saturday morning. 
coming into a radio show. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. This is good stuff. We did get a text question that came in, too, for you, Scott, here. So um, text is, says, hi, my name is Chris. I'm an ER doctor that just got off shift in Coon Rapids. The healthcare system seems to be broken right now with no real end in sight. Do you really think a change in government leadership would impact this? And how do you think you could do things differently to help our system? Well, first off, Dr. Chris, thanks for the work you do. I mean, you are a frontline doctor, and the sacrifices you've made are probably unimaginable for so many people. I think we can make a difference in the way we deal with public health emergencies. Arguably, we have had a pandemic or an epidemic virtually every other year for the last 20 years. We can go back to the SARS Corona 1 in 2002. We can talk about MERS. We could talk about the swine flu in 09. We could talk about the multiple outbreaks of Ebola over the last 12 years. Bottom line is we have to ask ourselves what have we done well this time around and what could we have done better? I think lockdowns fairly early on revealed that we weren't getting what we thought we'd get from them. A one size fits all program isn't working. We need to lean into the doctors more. I think we had too many unelected bureaucrats who find this to be, ha, this is my time. They rose to the occasion by being more proclaiming and certain than they had any right to be. I made a video yesterday, Chris, where I said, we don't know what this new South African variant is going to be, but sometimes we just have to let the science breathe and we have to just follow it. And I think in doing that, I don't think we have to come across as know-it-alls. I think it's okay to tell the public, we're not sure. The doctors are working hard. I remember in 1976, I was just starting dental school at the time, and we had the Legionnaires outbreak out of Philadelphia. And people were leaving this convention, going home, and getting sick and dying of pneumonia. And our big-time antibiotics that we were pumping into these folks weren't helping. People kept dying. What did we do? We didn't have a Dr. Fauci to call. We kept trying and we kept talking with our patients. And some doctors tried an old-fashioned antibiotic called erythromycin. And boom, we stopped that outbreak. And people now lived through that pneumonia. We didn't get that opportunity this time around. We had everybody in their neighbor telling us what to do. You had everybody and their neighbor telling you what to do. You should have been allowed, and your right as a physician should have been maintained, that you keep talking with your patients and doing the best you can. We weren't transparent with our models. Our models were way off the charts. Emergency powers were abused. I think, honestly, there was very little transparency. Informed consent was kicked aside. Our immunization program. When public officials decided to ignore natural immunity, they had no idea how they were fracturing the public trust. They created two groups, the vaccinated and unvaccinated. But the fact of the matter is, Chris, you and I know that if someone has a robust antibody response, they've got immunity. We should have been far more open with the public. And I think that groupthink drove a lot of the decision-making and ultimately the supply chain of our healthcare workers was fractured because of poor public policy. So those are some things I think we could have done a lot differently. Well, fantastic question. We really appreciate you texting in.
Folks, we got the phone lines open at 651. You can call into the studio at 651-647-2910. That's the call-in number to the studio, 651-647-2910, Dr. Scott Jensen. We also have a text line open. You can text your questions to 612-202-8321, is the text line. Um, call or text both ways to get you through and we'll get your question answered. Uh, Dr. Jensen, um, how do you feel about universities or any educational institute that requires their students and staff to get vaccinated? I've been disappointed in the academic institutions and even the culture surrounding them. Again, there's been little willingness to trust the very students these institutions have recruited to come to their institution. We know with this pandemic that it's substantially different than the Spanish flu of 1918, which targeted the population from 20 to 40. This COVID-19 virus is targeting the vulnerable 65 and over with multiple underlying conditions. We've seen institutions literally recruit and secure a commitment from students to attend their institution and then midstream change the rules and say, you have to do this or we don't want you. And in many situations, the students have already begun their education at the institution. Sometimes they might have been three quarters of the way done. I think this is just wrong. I've been very disappointed. But I think we're seeing a little bit of a decision-making process that has been changing over the last decades in the collegiate centers. And I think that change has to do with sort of a, a political liberalizing of thought. And not that that's so terrible, but what really stinks from my perspective is that there's become a certain adoption of a narrative. And if you dare to speak away from that narrative, even in that institution, your grades may suffer, your experience may be compromised. And I think that's what's wrong with our upper educational institutions. I think that we have always previously tried to retain a certain openness of thought where there's scholarly and civil debate and today i think our colleges feel just like our political centers fact of the matter is in many ways our colleges have become nothing more than an extension of our political centers mm -hmm. i would agree folks we have the phone lines open dr scott jensen in this morning 651 studio lines are open at 651 <coughs> 647-2910 is the call number to the studio. We also have a text line. You can text your questions to 612-202-8321. That is the text line. Text your questions for Dr. Scott Jensen this morning. The text line is 612-202-8321. We had a couple text questions uh, come in here as well. Uh, the first one here says, uh, Dr. Scott uh, Jensen, where can I find the video you posted yesterday about the new variant? Best place to find it would probably be just to go to Facebook. 
You can actually go to our website, Dr. Scott Jensen, D-R-S-C-O-T-T-J-E-N-S-E-N.com. And if you scroll to the bottom of any page, you can just click on the Facebook link, and it'll take you to it. It was about a three-minute video dealing with two things, the South African variant, and the second thing was the rise of autoimmune disease, because I get a lot of questions about that. And if I could just take a moment, Mike, I'd like to just tell people, autoimmune disease is exactly what it sounds like. Auto meaning self, immune referring to your immune system, disease referring to an abnormality or pathology. So what we're seeing is a tremendous rise in our immune system creating antibodies that then attack our own tissues. That's what causes rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, myasthenia gravis, and many various types of arthritis. But even allergies and a variety of tendinitis may even be coming from autoimmune diseases. Now we're looking at gastrointestinal diseases such as sprue and wondering what's the involvement of an autoimmune process. You might wonder why that is. Well, frequently the antibodies are made to attack a certain antigen or marker, and that antigen might have a lot of commonality with part of your own tissue. That's what happens. So the antibody isn't as discriminating as we would like it to be. Perhaps an example might be if in a military action we try to drop a bomb on a target, and instead of hitting the target, we find that we hit something 500 yards away. That's sort of what happens with our immune system. We aren't as laser-targeted, and then disease or pathology results. And we're thinking that this may well be happening with, if you will, COVID-19 disease and COVID-19 vaccines. Because both of those processes, whether you have the disease or the vaccine, do induce the formation of antibodies. And then the question is, how targeted, how precise, how effective will those antibodies be? Folks, we've got the phone lines open at 651-647-2910. It's Dr. Scott Jensen in to the show this morning with us. 651. Studio lines are open at 651-647-2910. We also have a text line open. You can text your questions at 612-202-8321 is the text line. 612-202-8321. I think we got a caller. Uh, Pam, thanks for calling in. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Dr. Dr. Jensen, I have a question uh, for you about uh, what are your views on voter registration. I, I know our last election that we had, we ended up having in our household like six registrations come just for my husband and I through the mail. I, I We thought they were fraudulent, so we tossed them. We ended up just going to the courthouse. But what are your views on uh, voter registration? I think our entire election process has to be reexamined. We could quibble about illegal vouching, harvesting of ballots, abuse of absentee ballots, the problems with mail-in ballots. We could look at the Maricopa County forensic audit that was done and see that in that area they had 282 dead people vote, that they had 9,000 more mail-in ballots returned than went out. 
We could go back to 2000 and look at the hanging chads. We could do all of that. But the bottom line is, if we don't have a fair and trustworthy election system, America loses one of its pillars of democracy. It's our election system that will allow us to peacefully allow power to be transferred from one administration to another. You hit on a very important topic. Anything that goes through the mail and has redundancy lends itself to abuse. Why would we want to have any philosophy regarding elections other than this? Make it easy to vote. Make it hard to cheat. And if you do cheat, spend some time in jail and see if you do it twice. <laughs> Let's make sure that every ballot in the box belongs there. Let's not be so focused on getting that box so filled with ballots. Why are we willing to spend so many public dollars to cheapen the process of voting? I want every American engaged and paying attention, just as you are with these repeat voter registrations. But if someone doesn't want to vote or someone chooses not to do the research, I'm not particularly crazy about the idea of someone else coming along and say, hey, I'll give you 10 bucks for your ballot. Let me vote for you. Mm -hmm. We just have to say, why in the world would we want a system that isn't as good as it could be? And then fix it. And to me, a voting card, a photo ID, along with provisional ballots for those exceptional situations, that's the way to fix this. And I just don't understand how anybody could argue with that. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree 100%. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. Great question. Okay. Folks, we have the phone lines open at 651-647-2910. That's studio lines here. Give us a call this morning, 651 651- Six four seven two nine one zero. Dr. Scott Jensen in studio. You can also text your questions to 612-202-8321. That is the text line. Text your questions to 612-202-8321. We had another text uh, question that came in here. This is from John. It says, hey, Dr. Jensen, I'm a big supporter. How do you feel about term limits? John, you make me chuckle. <laughs> I was in the Senate for four years. I think at least two or three different times I submitted term limit bills and I couldn't even get a hearing in a Republican Senate. The last bill I submitted was as simple as it could be. You can serve 16 years and then you have to step away for one term and then you can run again. If your district sends you back you must be very good at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to do was make every elected representative and senator have to give up the power of the incumbency at least once every 16 years because the incumbency has so many perks that make it easy to keep getting elected. The name recognition, the dollars that go from the lobbyists to your campaign, the free media coverage because you're in the House or you're in the Senate. We need term limits, and that's a big part of the reason why I've been a very strong supporter of a convention of states. Because at the national level, we're not going to get term limits unless we have a convention of states convention that would put in place the potential for a balanced federal budget as well as term limits. The perks of extended service in Washington are far greater than most states have. And I feel like there's just too much 
of a powerful motivation for people to become career politicians. And I think that's antithetical to what our founding fathers had in mind. I believe that they strongly recommended a citizen legislature whereby people would step away from their vocation and their community to serve and then come back to it. When we, when we do what we're doing here, we get less people involved, and sometimes we get less leaders involved because they're not going to step down to St. Paul or even to Washington, D.C. to mark time for six or eight years to, so to speak, build up the seniority necessary to get on the committee that they think they can serve best on or to be a chairperson of a committee. So we have many things working against us. We desperately need term limits. We desperately need to move away from this self-appointed political class. Fantastic. Phone lines are open, folks. 651-647-2910. Give us a call this morning. Dr. Scott Jensen is in the studio answering your questions. The phone lines are open at 651 647 Two nine one zero. The text line. You can also text your questions to six one two two zero two eight three two one. Is the text line. Text your questions for Dr. Scott Jensen to six one two two zero two eight three two one. Dr. Jensen, we've got about uh, nine minutes left in the show. Um, what else would you like to cover? I'd like to talk about what happens in the world of business when. The free market isn't allowed to do what it does. I know that this show has a lot to do with real estate. And I'm struck by when your industry sector, selling and buying properties, when the market is allowed to do what it does naturally, things find their own levels. If there's a lot of sellers, prices may drop. There's a lot of buyers, prices may go up. It was ironic and interesting what happened in St. Paul in the recent election when they passed rent controls? What happened? Well, you could say it was an unintended consequence, but doggone it, you should have been able to foresee that. The developers said, hold it. If you want us to put in millions and millions of dollars and go out and solicit dollars from people whose perhaps retirement plans might be tapped into, to invest in a development, these kinds of things. If you want that to happen, you can't be changing the rules. You can't be, if you will, truncating the ability for investors to succeed. And yet that's oftentimes what happens when you have this external influence. And again, I'm going to go back to what I said before. When government policy is put in place, there's frequently two things that happen. There's an arrogance because people are so invested in their policies that they don't want to be wrong. And so you'll see this secondary thing happen where there's this persistence and this willingness to subvert the narrative so that you don't have to acknowledge being potentially incorrect or maybe misguided. That doesn't happen in the private sector. In the private sector, you don't get to change a narrative. You can change a narrative all you want. The fact of the matter is, you'll go bankrupt. Your, your business will go out. So in the private sector, there will always be a certain nimbleness that says, I have to be open to recognizing my flawed judgment or my mistakes. I know in the clinic I run, 
I have at times put in on a Monday a new policy that we thought would work, and by Thursday, we've absolutely thrown it out the window. <laughs> in three days' time, we knew that my idea was dumber than rocks, and uh, I should have gone with the staff. That, to me, is the kind of culture I want to work in. Nimble, willing to recognize when something works or doesn't work. A culture where you can say, mea culpa, my fault, let's do it this way. That's what drives America. And it really bothers me that we're seeing the governmental sector have more and more influence on almost every aspect of our lives. And I think that's why there is such an energized groundswell movement out there. Mm -hmm. People are saying... I can't afford to stand on the sidelines any longer. Even if the Vikings won't always block and tackle on Sunday, i got to get on the field and do my own blocking and tackling. Sorry, Minnesota Vikings, I love you, but you got to do it every Sunday. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's funny, the whole rent control thing, because you know we speak to we have a lot of investors that own investment properties and stuff there, and it shifts their mindset to if you have a longstanding tenant, mm-hmm. a lot of times you're not raising rents and stuff on them because they're it's a, they're the perfect tenant. They always pay in time. They take care of the property. Like keep those people in there because if you got a thirty-year fixed loan on there, your loan, your payment's not changing as the investor. You know what I mean? And so then, why do you need to change your your rent to your renters when you got a super good long-term tenant in there? Mm-hmm. But now the problem is, is that if that renter leaves, you can't increase your rents to whatever the market rents are at that right. time. Now you can only increase it to three percent. So now you have to increase rents to your long-term renters there mm-hmm. that you've had in there that you don't want to do that on because that's the only way you're going to be able to keep up so that when they leave, now you're back into market rents for that property. And so there's a lot of, like you said, unintended consequences. And, I mean, well, we see I, it all the time. I think, mm-hmm. to be fair, uh, pretty much everyone had that that uh, criticism of the St. Paul proposal is that it didn't have any sort of decompression for new construction and any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And already... They're trying to work on it. Well, you know, what we really wanted was, uh, and ultimately speaking, I think that those things about the St. Paul Ordinance will change because of all the developments happening mm-hmm. right now. So, um, Absolutely. I'd be curious to see what plays out with that. Mike, I think your explanation was excellent because I do have some rental properties, and I have wonderful tenants, and I'm not interested in necessarily having... Uh, rent increase every year based on the consumer price index increase. My tenants, in many situations, I say, hey, let's just stay with where we're at because you've been so good. But if I do that, just as you said, down the road, I may pay for that decision because when that tenant moves on, I'm stuck at a place where I don't want to be. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Jensen, if folks are listening, they're watching online, we're on YouTube, Facebook, um, of course on the air, where's the best way that they can connect with you uh, and, and how do they follow what you're doing and where you're going to be? I hope that people would think about just joining us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, our YouTube channel has most of our videos as well. We're pretty active on Twitter and we're getting back up on TikTok. We've been booted off of TikTok twice, um, <laughs> once when we had 300,000 followers and once when we had 75,000 followers. And it was simply because we had uh, spoken a, a contrarian narrative. But the best place to follow us is probably Facebook. I also would love you to go to our website, drscottjensen.com. I'm not going to be the darling choice of the political elite. That's been clear. Typically, politicians who are willing to kiss the ring or be a puppet on a string are going to be more attractive to 
the people who drive the industry. And I think I've made it fairly clear that that's not who I am. I'm willing to be a maverick. There are times when that willingness to be a maverick backfires, and I, I find myself perhaps doing more damage control than I would like. But part of that comes with being willing to lead on a conversation. I learn every day. Certainly there are weeks by where by Friday I realize that what I said on Monday could have been wiser or more sage. But I do think that if you're willing to think about being a delegate for our team, we need you to go to drscottjensen.com forward slash join the fight with no spaces. Join the fight and let us know that you're going to go to Precinct Caucuses so that we can advise you uh, where your Precinct Caucus will be. This is what will happen. Try to provide a level of comfort so that the, the meeting doesn't feel intimidating to you because it shouldn't. It's going to be just you and a bunch of neighbors participating in the grassroots process that hopefully we'll see Governor Walls and myself have a chance to face off in November with debates every month in the preceding six months. I would love to see debates happen all over the state on college campuses and in nursing home facilities and wherever we can have a venue where people can come together and learn what this campaign's about because Ideally, a campaign should be nothing more than building a relationship with the voters. Dr. Scott Jensen, thank you for coming on the show. We're very excited about what you're doing, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Thank you so much thank for you. having me. Yeah, you bet. Just take this song, and you'll never be left all alone. Take me to your heart, fill me in your bones. Just one more night. expressed are not necessarily those of the management or ownership of Score North, KSTP AM 1500.